0: Thank you, Hal and Cassandra. Always wonderful to start the the day with song, and today particularly so, as we prepare to study the Word of God, but also as we prepare to uh, honor uh, Veterans Day, um, previously known as Armistice Day, and this morning, that's what we were we're going to spend some time dedicating. The service to those who have served and to uh, those who are serving. So this morning, as we begin, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like the tree that is planted by the river of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf never withers and whatsoever he does shall prosper what shall we say then to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up as a substitute for us all how shall he not graciously give us all things blessed is the nation whose god is the lord the people he has chosen in his own, as his own inheritance this morning as we prepare to study the word of god We have just a few seconds. I always give you a few seconds. That is our tradition here in the National Capital Bible Church to allow anyone who might have some unconfessed sins in their lives to take just a second or two for that. And it's a moment of privacy, privacy within your own soul. We achieve that privacy by closing our eyes and bowing our heads. And it's a time when we can use... First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that allows us an opportunity for some quiet time with the Father, if we haven't already taken that this morning, so that we can be prepared to what we could use, the, uh, the old English word, commune. We can now commune with God, and God the Holy Spirit can reveal, illuminate the Word of God to our souls. So you have a few seconds for some personal time, and then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have this day set aside as a holiday to remember, first of all, those who have served, Father, in many wars prior to this. And we know that while ultimately the freedom of the United States uh, rests in your hands, you also know that immediately and provide immediately that it is, it is won and defended by those in the military. And we're thankful, Father, that we have a, a wonderful and rich military heritage, and we're thankful for those who have served in the United States military. We're also certainly thankful this this morning, Father, for the ultimate sacrifice, uh, sacrifice and that is of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has provided salvation, spiritual freedom for us. And as we study the Word of God this morning and also... Uh, demonstrate our thankfulness to you for our freedom by honoring those who have served. Father, I pray that we would, in fact, do honor to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This morning, as we begin, we have uh, a lot that I would like to do, and, of course, there's never time or enough time There's always too much to cover. There's always too much to do, it seems. Uh, For those who were not here on uh, Wednesday night, let me uh, announce one more time that a member of the congregation, uh, Brad May, was promoted finally. You may remember, it seems like years ago, that he was actually selected for Brigadier General. And he has been promoted. So, when you have a chance to see him, you might want to congratulate him on his recent promotion. Also, yesterday was a very enjoyable day from the standpoint that I, I received a call from an old friend, Fred Sisson, who many of you, of course, remember, uh, who was here stationed in the uh, uh, in the uh, Human Resources Command for the United States Army for uh, probably a little more than a year, and he's now going to seminary, attending seminary up in Gordon-Conwell in Boston. And first of all, he sends his greetings. He said that he uh, remembers us all. He wished he could be here and passed along, uh, again, his greetings, and he wanted to congratulate uh, General May for his promotion. But he also wanted to say that he has now had the opportunity for his first speaking engagement, and he was calling me and saying, that, how did you feel the first time you spoke? And I said, uh, I have no recollection of it. I was just frozen with fear. (laughs) So uh, he is speaking today at a church in Boston, and they've asked him to give a Veterans Day message. And so it was a wonderful conversation with Fred, uh, and I, I certainly gave him greetings from us. Uh, to 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 him and his wife Terry. <clears throat> also, um, we have, as we remember Veterans Day, I want to review just a couple pictures that we had last time, and maybe even talk a little bit more about a couple of these pictures. Uh, I don't have any more information on uh, <clears throat> young Pete Specialist uh, Pete Toddson over in Iraq except that I did miss one of the pictures. and I'll have to go back and see if I can find it. And uh, his father tells me that they don't have any car washes over there. So he, as a driver, needs to make sure that his car is always clean and he's using a lot of Windex. So I don't know, we may need to send him some Windex to keep the, the windows clean. But I know that uh, he appreciates our prayers <clears throat> and uh, he's doing... From the reports, I get a remarkable job because he is a little older than those who would be of his same rank, um, and he probably demonstrates the maturity that he already has. <clears throat> he is recently uh, now the driver for a new uh, a new officer, a new lieutenant that has uh, arrived in Iraq, and he said, you know, just like uh, most people who are new to an area, they uh, they need. the the settling hand of someone with more experience. And I thought, the settling hand of young Pete. So, uh, please continue to pray for him. Um, I know he's doing a wonderful job. Of course, also John Wilkerson, who is also in Iraq, Major John Wilkerson, uh, received this picture. I think I might have had it last time. And John continues to send me emails. We exchanged several this uh, this week. And uh, he said one of the high points of this week, of course, was the Marine Corps birthday celebration that they had, uh, the 232nd birthday. And many of the traditions that we have in the Marine Corps in celebrating the, the birthday ball are sometimes difficult to uh, achieve or accomplish when you're Out in the the field of this nature, or or, uh, in extreme conditions, but they were able to do that. And he said that when. And one of the traditions is that we give, we have a a birthday cake, we cut the cake usually with a sword, and then the a piece of cake goes to the oldest Marine present, and then it goes to the youngest Marine present. Well, uh, as you can imagine. Uh John, who does not feel that he's all that old, ended up being the oldest Marine in his command. And so he said, I wasn't quite ready to receive the piece of cake for being the oldest Marine. So he got to talking with his gunnery sergeant. I had a picture of he and his gunnery sergeant Bakari this last uh, last Sunday. They came up with a way to fix that situation. And here's John. He doesn't have his knife, or excuse me, he doesn't have his uh, sword, but he does have his k-bar. So he's cutting the cake, as you can see, in sort of a um, field expedient uh, table. And actually, when I looked at that table, I wrote him back and said, John, this looks like something we might carry the ark on the ark. It looks like it's got two handles. and And he said something to the effect, well, the Cake is just about as sacred to us as the ark. So so he was cutting it with a K-bar. And I also said that I, I thought it was just a grand picture because here he is with his pistol belt on um, out in the desert cutting this piece of cake. And he said that they decided instead of him being the oldest Marine and giving him the first piece of cake, that they would revere all those who have uh, given their lives in Iraq. So... Uh, instead of him taking the first piece of cake, uh, they set up this, as military will often do, with uh, the rifle, the bayonet, in the ground. Here it's in the, uh, a sandbag with a, uh, the helmet on top and the empty boots as a way of honoring those who, in the unit who have died. And so this was John's way and their unit's way of celebrating the Marine Corps birthday. And, of course, it's also wonderful that it, Uh, coincides with Veterans Day, or almost coincides, uh, certainly very close together on the 10th and the 11th of November. I had several emails also, and I don't have a picture of Nathan Waterhouse. Nathan Waterhouse is another member of the congregation who's serving overseas right now. He's in the Horn of Africa, soon to go to Kenya. And we've asked him, uh, he's... uh, Bill Sen uh, communicates with him quite often by email, and he has promised to send us some pictures, although i don't know exactly when those will arrive. but I did have <coughs> uh, a letter from him, and so, in absence of that letter, I thought I would just give you the essence a couple of, of a couple of his letters He said uh, and this is I think Bill may have asked him if there was something he could send him. And he starts the letter uh, with a response, or at least it was a, a question about uh, stoop waffles, Strofe Strofe waffles. My parents will every now and then to express their Dutch heritage through the culinary arts, but I've never heard of stoop waffles. Every year at Christmas, we make what are called letters, some kind of almond pastry and give them as gifts. Sounds great, though. So uh, he's ready. We're we're sending a a package to uh, Nathan here soon, um, and since he's headed down to Kenya, he said that about the the only thing he really needs maybe is toiletries. But he says I remember being, and then he'll talk about that in a minute. He says I remember being a new member of National Capital Bible Church, and the first time I went with Stephanie, and that's his fiancée, I told her right after the sermon that we would, we'd go there when we get married, and that I'd finally found the church that God wanted me to find. He said, it's amazing how close I came to passing it right by. I came from a little church, so I naturally, I'm naturally fond of them. But, and then this is a marvelous compliment, I think, to the congregation as a whole, but the National Capital Bible Church has and will do amazing things for the kingdom. So that's a wonderful comment. He says, I can't wait to rejoin the family. I'll be happy to send some pictures. He says he's on his way to Kenya. He'll be there during the month, at least during the month of December. Uh, he goes on to say that the tempo there is, seems to be long periods of nothing followed by brief and chaotic periods of activity. Uh, i 'll send you some pictures when we, uh, so you can get the idea of what I do here. He says what I do is not all that hard it 's just uh, it 's just much too long to be away from home. He said in a nutshell, I provide security for those conducting humanitarian missions and then security, uh, and when the security's taken care of, then I participate in the uh, the humanitarian portion of the mission. He said, I've done my best to maintain my studies. I was fortunate to attend classes here and earn some credits, but my main focus lately has been the NCO board. So he's studying to be promoted to non-commissioned officer. And so this is an area uh, where, as you pray for uh, Nathan Waterhouse on a weekly basis, you can remember him. He says that he's going before the board this month, uh, a board of E-8s and above and some officers. And then he says, I will be relocating to Kenya this month. So... He says any of the uh, toiletries that you can send me, he would greatly appreciate. And so Nathan Waterhouse and I may have asked some, several members of the congregation. I remember we were praying for his uh, fiance Stephanie to be to be uh, accepted at med school here in George um, Georgetown, I believe. And she's finishing school down in Oklahoma City, so she'll finish school there and hopefully be prepared to come to. Uh, the D.C. area about the same time he returns from the Horn of Africa. All right. Uh, this morning, I wanted to, uh, first of all, remember all those who have served in, the, uh, in our military by just asking those of you who have served, if you would please stand. I know that we have quite a few in the, in the auditorium who have, so if you would please stand. I know you're very bashful. Here we are, Tony. That's right. Thank you very much, and Theron. All right. I'd like to again thank you very much for your service. Appreciate it very much. You may take your seats. And this morning, um, what, I'm, what I want to do is review uh, the history of Veterans Day, and it'll take us just a little bit. It's um, not as smooth and straightforward as some of us might think, but let me pull together a few of the detail, details on Veterans Day and then also take the opportunity to remember some of our veterans uh, from the previous wars. And it was uh, that's one of the things that I very much enjoy yesterday as I was trying to narrow down those who I might select, and it's always a difficult thing to do. But first of all, World War I is really the, the beginning. That's the, uh, the, the first time that the idea has come to us about what today we call Veterans Day. But World War I was, was known at the time as the Great War. And it officially ended when the Treaty of Versailles was signed on 28 June 1919 in the Palace of Versailles outside the town of Versailles, France. However, fighting ceased seven months earlier when an armistice or a temporary cessation of hostilities was signed between the Allied nations and Germany. And the importance of the cessation of hostilities really establishes the day for Veterans Day because the armistice, was planned and it was signed on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And so that is why we celebrate uh, today Veterans Day on November 11th. And in reading several of the accounts of that occasion, um, and I'll read a little bit more about this gentleman, Eddie Rickenbacker, who was a squadron commander at the time, in France um, was flying over the lines uh, at the eleventh. matter of fact, he was up there about oh, half an hour to an hour, uh, maybe around ten o'clock on November the eleventh and all the aircraft had been had been grounded that day, so there were no aircraft flying from any of the German positions, uh, aer- aerodromes, as they called them, or from the uh, the Allied side. But uh, Eddie Rickenbacker who became famous for saying if there was something that needed to be done, it was always better to do it, and then ask permission later. And so he said that he just felt the need to be in the air over the lines when the, uh, the treaty was going to be signed. And so he sort of counted it down as he was flying his SPAD, SPAD 1, with the emblem on the side which was the uh, American top hat painted with the stars and stripes in a circle and the reason they had that was the Americans had thrown their hat in the circle and so they were now serving and they thought that was a good emblem to have on their planes but he was flying over the uh, trenches at the time and he said there was was, the, the trenches were calm he could see that on the one side on the the Allied side, the brown uniforms were down in their trenches. And on the, uh, the German side, the gray-green uh, uniforms were down in their trenches as well. And as he counted it down himself, flying uh, south to north over the lines, he said slowly he could see people coming out of the, the trenches and out of the foxholes, and they started cheering and uh, shooting flares in the air, might have been a little dangerous for him to be up there. But he said slowly, he could see them hugging each other as he got lower and lower and flying over the trenches. And then pretty soon, they started to join. They came together. Hands hugged each other, and it was a joyous occasion because not only were, you know, for the world at large, was the war over, but for the individual soldier on the ground, the war was over. And the uh, Allies and um uh, The Americans and the Germans and the French and the Germans and the British and the Germans all were uh, very happy to have the war over. But anyhow, that brings us to the 11th hour of the 11th day on the 11th month. And as I said, I'll talk a little bit more about Eddie Rickenbacker, an unbelievable story uh, about that young man and how he grew into um, quite an individual. But anyhow, in November of 1919... Oh, and by the way, that the uh, armistice that was the temporary cessation and then the armistice that was signed on twenty eight June nineteen nineteen was known as the War to End all Wars. Well, of course, we know that it wasn't the war to end all wars, although certainly a very horrific war at that time, and we've certainly and we've had wars since then, and we have to understand that, as our Lord Jesus Christ told us that there are going to be wars wars and rumors of wars until he returns, and we are not going to change that fact. In November of 1919, President Wilson proclaimed November 11th as the first commemoration of Armistice Day. He said to us in America, the reflections of Armistice Day will be filled with solemn pride in the heroism of those who died in the country's service and with gratitude for victory, both because of the... uh, both because of the thing from which it has freed us, and because of the opportunity has given America to show her sympathy with peace and justice in the councils of nations. Of course, he was soon to be pushing for his League of Nations, which uh, the United States decided, uh, and I think rightfully so, not to participate. The original concept of the celebration was for a day, was for a day observed with parades and public meetings and brief suspension of business beginning at 11 a.m. So the first idea was whenever the 11th uh, fell during the month, we would just continue for the most part business as usual until we got to 11 o'clock. <clears throat> the United States Congress officially recognized the end of World War One. This is very interesting when it passed a concurrent resolution on June 4th, 1926, almost 10 years later. And it said, whereas the 11th of November 1918 marked the cessation of the most destructive, bloody and far reaching war in human annals and the resumption by the people of the United States of peaceful relations with other nations, which we hope may never again be severed. Of course, that hope went out the window very soon. Whereas the 11th of November, 1918, marked the cessation, excuse me, whereas it is fitting that the recurring anniversary of this date should be commemorated with thanksgiving and prayer. Thanksgiving and prayer, of course, that's not something that would be held in high esteem today. With thanksgiving and prayer, an exercise is designated to perpetuate peace through goodwill and mutual understanding between nations. And whereas the legislature of 27 of our states have already declared November 11th to be a uh, a legal holiday. Therefore, be it resolved by the Senate, the House of Representatives concert, con- concurring, that the President of the United States is requested to issue a proclamation calling upon the officials to display the flag of the United States on all government buildings on November 11th and invite the people of the United States to observe the day in schools. I don't know how many schools today... Really, will be observing Veterans Day. Schools and churches. So what we are doing here this morning, uh, I guess you could say we're following the wishes of Congress and the President, or other suitable places with appropriate ceremonies of friendly relations with all people. So we're friendly relations here with all people. Now, there were a few intervening events between the June 4th, 1926 uh, official recognition. And in 1920, on the second anniversary of the armistice, remember it's been set aside, France and the United Kingdom held ceremonies honoring their unknown war dead, their unknown dead from the war. In America, at the suggestion of church groups, President Wilson named the Sunday nearest Armistice Day, Armistice Day Sunday. And it was to be on which services should be held, and he said, in the interest of international peace. Uh, we will do that this morning in the interest of international peace because we'll be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, and someday, and, and the trust that our, our uh, military forces have in him, should have in him, and many do, and it's through him that we achieve uh, personal peace, spiritual peace, and then someday even uh, world peace. Congress in 1921 passed legislation approving the establishment of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery, and November the 11th was chosen for the date of that ceremony. And accordingly, on October the 20th of that year, Congress declared November the 11th, 1921, uh, November the 11th, 1921 a legal federal holiday to honor all those who participated in the war. And the ceremony was conducted with great success. And then, as I said, it was in 1926 that Congress adopted a resolution. And that resolution was directing the president to issue an annual proclamation calling on the observance uh, of Armistice Day. Throughout the 20s and the 30s, most states then established the 11th as a legal holiday. So we see that that's what, that's what occurred. And then I read the declaration on June fourth, 1926. Um, the reason Congress did that was because at that time, the federal government didn't assume that it could force a holiday on the states. They knew that uh, the federal government only really had the power to provide a national holiday or a federal holiday to federal workers. And so... In 1938, it says, Congress passed legislation on May the 13th, making November 11th a legal federal holiday, calling it Armistice Day. The United States has no actual national holidays at that time because the states retained the right to designate their own holidays. But again, most of the states followed and sued. In 1938, Congress simply, at that time, provided a rewording of that resolution. During 1941 through 1945 and 1950 through 53, of course, we moved beyond World War I, the First World War, as it became called soon after World War II began, or it was called the Great War. I remember when I was on recruiting duty up in Boston, one time an older gentleman came up to me and he said I was in the big one. And as soon as he said I was in the big one, I knew exactly what he meant. He said, I was in World War I. Um, later on, it was very humorous that about a day later, uh, a young man came up to me, and he was apparently either familiar with that phrase. He, he looked at me and said, I was in the big one. And, of course, as I was looking at him, I thought, well, I know you were not in World War I. He said, no, I was in the Vietnam War. <laughs> so for him, the Vietnam War was a big one. That's just a side Interesting thing. But anyhow, we at the end of the Korean War, we now have many more veterans, millions of additional veterans to add to those already being recognized from the First World War. So on June 1st, 1954, President Eisenhower signs legislation changing the name of the legal holiday from Armistice Day to Veterans Day. So what... Let me just see if I can now find... Uh, what Eisenhower wrote. Yeah, see, so he's, so Eisenhower, number, let's see here. All right, the legislation uh, reads as follows. An act approved May 13th, 1938, made the 11th of November in each year a legal holiday, a day to be dedicated to the cause of world peace and be thereafter celebrated and known as Armistice Day. Armistice Day was primarily a day set aside to honor veterans of World War I, but in 1954, after World War II had required the greatest mobilization of soldiers, sailors, marines, and airmen in the nation's history after American forces had fought aggression in Korea, the 83rd Congress, at the urging of the veterans' service organizations, amended the Act of 1938 by striking out the words armistice and inserting in its place the word veterans. With the approval of this legislation, June 1, 1954, November 11th became a day to honor American veterans of all wars. So that's how we progressed from Armistice to Day to Veterans Day. Later that same year, on October the 8th, President Dougler, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower issued the first Veterans Day proclamation. And the first uh, declaration signed by Dwight D. Eisenhower said, Whereas it has long been our custom to commemorate November the 11th, the anniversary of the ending of World War I, by paying tribute to the heroes of that tragic struggle and by rededicating ourselves to the cause of peace, and whereas in the intervening years the United States has been involved in two other great military conflicts, which have added millions of veterans living and dead to the honor rolls of this nation and whereas the Congress passed a concurrent resolution on June 4th, 26, calling for the observance of November 11th with appropriate ceremonies and later provided an act approved May 13th, 1938, that the 11th of November should be a legal holiday and should be known as Armistice Day. And whereas in order to expand the significance of that commemoration, and I think one of the reasons I've read this one is because I think we capture in this paragraph and maybe the next one, the, uh, the significance. He says, whereas in order to expand the significance of that commemoration and in order that a grateful nation might pay appropriate homage to the veterans of all its wars who have contributed so much to the preservation of this nation. The Congress, by an act approved, June 1st, 1954, changed the name of the holiday to Veterans Day. Now, therefore, I, Dwight D. Eisenhower, President of the United States, we hereby call all our citizens to observe Thursday, November the 11th, 1954, as Veterans Day. On that day, let us solemnly remember the sacrifices of all who have fought so valiantly on the sea, in the air, and on foreign shores, to preserve our heritage of freedom, and let us consecrate ourselves to the task of promoting and enduring peace, so that their efforts shall not have been in vain. And, of course, one of the ways that we consecrate ourselves to the task of promoting an enduring peace is by ensuring we have two things. First, a very strong spiritual heritage in the United States. And then, of course, secondly, by having a strong military. It's not in this uh, official document, but that's certainly the way it should. He says... uh, I also, well, sadly after this, notice he said November the 11th, and it happened to fall on Thursday, so it was going to be a day uh, honored on the day that it fell. But sadly, Congress can't seem to let well enough alone, and in 1968, 1968, Congress passed the Monday Holiday Law, which established the fourth Monday in October the fourth Monday in October, as the new date for the observance of Veterans Day. And the law was to take effect in not until 1971. So, what occurs in 1971 is that we almost have complete confusion because people are trying to celebrate Veterans Day and it just doesn't work. Um, the Uniform Holiday Bill that was signed in 1968, was intended to ensure, and you'll notice I read the reason that we were having Veterans Day with uh, President Eisenhower. And now see if this sounds familiar or even close. The Uniform Holiday Bill, signed June 28, 1968, was intended to ensure three-day weekends for federal employees by celebrating our four national holidays on Mondays, Washington's birthday, birthday, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and Columbus Day. It was thought that these extended weekends would encourage travel, recreational and cultural activities, and stimulate greater industrial and commercial production. Many states, thankfully, did not agree with this Decision and continue to celebrate the holidays on their original dates. So, in short, the true purpose of the significance of Armistice Day than Veterans Day was just simply forgotten. It's now just a, a three-day holiday, and I think sadly that has carried uh, over to uh, much of what we do today. There have been times when we have, uh, when we certainly celebrated appropriately, but most of the time we do not. The first Veterans Day under the new law was observed with much confusion on October 25, 1971, and it was apparent that the commemoration of this day was a matter of historic and patriotic significance to a great number of citizens. And so on September the 20, 1975, President Gerald R. Ford signed Public Law 94-97, which returned the annual observance of Veterans Day to its original date of November the 11th, and that began in 1978. And so, from 1978 on, we have continued to observe Veterans Day on November the 11th, regardless of what day of the week on which it falls. And the per, I think that was a, an excellent idea. It preserves not only the historical significance of the date, but helps focus attention on the, importance, the important purpose of Veterans Day, a celebration to honor Americans' veterans for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. And so that uh, may be a little bit longer than uh, expected, but that's the history of uh, Armistice Day and Veterans Day, and that brings us to today. And tomorrow, I believe, the President is going to read something similar to this. This is what we'll hear tomorrow. This is a proclamation by the President of the United States for Veterans Day 2007. Throughout our history, America has been protected by patriots who cherished liberty and made great sacrifices to advance the cause of freedom. The brave members of the United States Armed Forces have answered the call to serve our nation, ready to give all for their country. On Veterans Day, we honor these extraordinary Americans for their service and sacrifice, And we pay tribute to the legacy of freedom and peace that they have given our great nation. In times of war and peace, our men and women in uniform stepped forward to defend their fellow citizens and love and the country they love. They shouldered great responsibility and lived up to the highest standards of duty and honor. Our veterans held fast against determined and ruthless enemies and helped save the world from tyranny and terror. They ensured that America remained what our founders meant her to be, a light to the nations, spreading the good news of human freedom to the darkest corners of the earth. And, of course, in that we also spread, we are like a light, a beacon, spreading the gospel as well. Like the heroes before them today, a new generation of men and women are fighting fighting for freedom around the globe. Their determination, courage, and sacrifice are laying the foundation for a more secure and peaceful world. And that's right. And they're doing it with the United States military and supporting other militaries in other parts of the world. Veterans Day is dedicated to the extraordinary Americans who protected our freedom in years past and to those who protect it today. They represent the very best of our nation. Every soldier, sailor, airman, marine, and coast guardsman, has earned the lasting gratitude of the American people, and their service and sacrifice will be remembered forever. And that certainly is a prayer that we should all have, that we would not forget them, that we would remember them. In the words of Abraham Lincoln, let us strive, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wound, to care for him who has, to care for him who shall have borne the battle. On this Veterans Day, I ask all Americans to express their appreciation to our nation's veterans. Now, therefore, I, George W. Bush, President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim November the 11th, 2007, as Veterans Day, and urge all Americans to observe November 11th through November 17th. November 11th through November 17th as National Veterans Awareness Week. I encourage all Americans to recognize the valor and sacrifice of our veterans through ceremonies and prayers. I call upon federal, state, and local officials to display the flag of the United States and to support and participate in patriotic activities in their communities. I invite civic and fraternal organizations, places of worship, schools, businesses, unions, and the media... Uh, it's going to be a stretch, to support this national observance with commemorative expressions and programs. Signed this 31st day of October, uh, 2007, George W. Bush. And so, history of Veterans Day and then the proclamation from the president, and I think the president catches a lot of the sentiment sentiment that we should have there regarding those who have served and provided our freedom. I said that I would talk just momentarily here about several of those who have served, and from World War One, I, I wanted to start in World War one and as I read yesterday, I was drawn to a young man by the name of Eddie Rickenbacker, and Eddie Rickenbacker was a son of Swiss immigrants. He grew up in Ohio he was born in Columbus, Ohio, and his father died at the at his when Eddie was 12 years old. And he said that he knew if he approached his mother, first of all, they were a rather poor immigrant family, but he knew that if he approached his mother and said, I need to go to work, that she would not have allowed him to do so. So the next morning, he simply got up, and instead of going to school, he went to work. He found a job, and he started earning something like $3 a week, and he would bring that $3 a week home to his mother and he would give it to his mother because it wasn't his money, it was the family's money. And there's a really uh, a remarkable story there about how he would cherish the quarter that she would give him so that he could spend that on the weekends. But he would earn the $3, he would walk two miles to work and two miles back uh, he could have taken transportation, but it would have cost him a nickel to do that. And a nickel was too much money to spend on transportation. And so he brought the money back, gave it to his mother. But he became, in World War One, the ace of aces. He recorded 26 official victories against German aircraft during World War One, and was awarded the Medal of Honor. He is uh, known for many things. He became a race car driver at the age of 16, set numerous speed records in World War I. He volunteered for the air service. He was too old and uneducated. He only reached the seventh grade, so he couldn't uh, be part of the flying service. Uh, He also was 27, and you could only be 26. So he said, well, you just press on and wait for your opportunities. So he joined the Army. He became a driver. Uh, for uh, Colonel, some of you will recognize this name, Billy Mitchell. And he later on, as he talked with the colonel, the colonel said, well, uh, if you can pass a physical, we'll see what we can do. So he was driving for the colonel in France. He took his physical. Just so happened the doctor that he that, that gave him his physical was a friend, was a good friend. They joined up back from Ohio together. And the doctor said as he was signing his uh, bill of health that said his his, uh, physical to say that he was in exceptional condition, he said, you know, you really don't look 27. You look younger than that. And so he signed him in as being 25 years old. And uh, he went to flying school. And back then it was a little shorter than it is today. I think it took him two weeks to complete and he was flying it took him a while to get to his uh his uh, squadron and they really didn't start flying uh american squadrons didn't start flying until uh, seriously until 1918 and during that period of time there were several american uh squadrons that stood up and he be- he became part of the 94th flying squadron and later on would become the squadron commander at the age of captain, and there were many American aces prior to him, but the one that was either alive or still actively flying became known as the A- the American Ace of aces and Towards the end of the war, he became America's Ace of aces. Uh, his Medal of Honor citation reads. Edward V. Rickenbacker, and the V, by the way, stands for Vernon. It wasn't a name that he was given. He was just born and named Eddie Edward Rickenbacker. But he said, I thought there was something missing in my name, and I liked the letter V. So I chose V and gave myself the name Vernon. (laughs) Guys, all right. Edward V. Rickenbacker later promoted to colonel, specialist in the reserves, then 1st Lieutenant, 94th Aero Squadron Air Service, American Expeditionary Forces, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty in action against the enemy near Billy France, 25 September 1918. While on voluntary patrol over the lines, Lieutenant Rickenbacker attacked seven enemy planes, five type Fokker, Five uh, type Fokker aircraft protecting two type Halberstam photographic planes. Disregarding the odds against him, he dived on them and shot down one of the Fokkers out of control. He then attacked one of the Halberstams and sent it down also. And Medal of Honor citations were much more brief at that time, but you can uh, find Eddie Reckenbacher's uh, story. On the Internet, it's an extraordinary story. And there's a a passage there that I was reading. He he actually wrote two books. Uh, He was shot, not shot down. Uh, After the war, he, uh, let's see. After the war, he bought and administered the Indianapolis Speedway. He became president of Eastern Airlines. And in October of 1942, he was aboard a B-17 bomber that crashed in the Pacific Ocean while on a secret mission to New Guinea. Iron Man Eddie and six companions survived 24 days afloat on life rafts. And he wrote uh, a book. He called it Seven Came Through. He wrote that book in 1943. He also wrote a book called Fighting the Flying Circus. And the Flying Circus, of course, was the squadron of... uh, uh, von Richthofen, during uh, World War I. So a, a remarkable individual, a remarkable man. Uh, he wrote this. This is one of his, like, you could call it a prayer, but it's it's sort of his, his wish. He says It's not old-fashioned to wave and love the flag of our country or to worship God in heaven. Let us acknowledge and be grateful for the blessings of freedom that God has given us, Let us dedicate our lives to the perpetuation of American principles of freedom with confidence. Let us stop and analyze ourselves to find out what life means to us. Let us, therefore, pray every night for the strength and guidance to inspire in others the gratitude, the love, the dedication that we owe our beloved country for the sake of our prosperity. Then, and only then, Can we say when the candle of light burns low? Thank you, God. I have given my best to the land that has given me so much. Eddie Rickenbacker. He died, let's see, he died in 1968, I believe. I think he died in 1968. 73. Died in 1973. This morning, I do want to go to one passage of Scripture, because that's why we're here. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to a passage we've seen before, but it's in 1 Corinthians. 1 First Corinthians 5, 18-22. 1 Corinthians 5. always takes just a little bit longer to do the things we want to do here. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5 is a historical passage. 1 Chronicles. Did I say 1 Corinthians or did I say, well, you're supposed to be in Chronicles. They both begin with a C, so I understand your mistake. 1 Chronicles chapter 5. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 18. It's a historical passage, and for those of you who are coming to class, to Bible class, on Wednesday evenings, you'll recognize this, at least the historical significance of this passage, because we're now talking about the tribes taking the land. And in First Chronicles... 1 Chronicles 5.18, we're now talking about Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manassas. And again, for those of you who are studying Joshua with me, I don't need to say anything more, because you know that that's on the east side of the Jordan. It's not on the west side of the Jordan, it's on the east side of the Jordan. And that's where these tribes first, along with the other tribes, cleared the area that they requested to have as their inheritance prior to crossing the Jordan east to west, and then with a contingent, 44,000, from Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manassas, they cleared the western side of the Jordan, which we call the land, Ha-Eretz. Verse 18, the sons of Reuben and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh had forty-four thousand seven hundred sixty. Valiant men. And the word for valiant men, some of you again will recognize, it's the word chayel. It's the Hebrew word chayel, and it's spelled H-A-Y-I-L. Chayel, H-A-Y-I-L. And it means valiant, but it has a wide range of meaning. It can also mean strength. It can mean strength. Faculty, ability. It can mean power. So the word chayil, H-A-Y-I-L, can mean valiant. It can mean strength, faculty, or ability, power. It can mean brave. It can mean capable, which is somewhat close to faculty and ability. Or it can mean honorable, We've also seen that it's translated periodically wealth. But I think in many of those cases, it's wealth of character, even though it can also mean someone has, has been prospered. But it, it means here they're valiant. They are men of character. And again, this is how Boaz is represented in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. So they are valiant men, able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow, and skillful in war. And our word here for skillful is the basic Hebrew word that means to learn. And here it means to have been trained. And so they are trained in war. So they are skillful in war. So they are able to bear shield and sword, able to carry the sword and the shield, the shield and the sword. They're able to use it to shoot with the bow, and they are trained. They, are, they have learned the skills of warfare. They're skillful in war who went to war. And so, obviously, before we go to war, this is something that we need to understand is that we need to be trained. We need to have learned the skills of war. We go to war skillful, and therefore, training is an honorable thing. For uh, young people to join the military, to go to training, to be trained for war is honorable. They made war with the Hagrites, Jatur, Nathish, and Nadab. And they were helped against them. And we're going to see that this is in the passive voice. So they are being helped. They were assisted. They're receiving something. And it wasn't persons who helped them, they didn't help them accomplish anything, but it was God, it was God who helped them, so they were helped, uh, helped them, against them, and the Hagarites were delivered into their hand, the word hand, of course, is a figure of speech, it means into their power, into their ability, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in battle, and the word cried there is a little bit of an unusual word, and it does mean to cry or to cry out, but it means to call, so it's a request, but it's a fervent request. They call to the Lord they call to the Lord, and that's the way I would prefer to translate it they they call to the Lord in prayer, and what uh they cried to the to to God in the battle, and it says he heeded their prayers because they put their trust in Him. The Lord heeded their prayers because they put their trust in Him. So, they placed their trust in God, and God answers their prayers. Their prayers in battle, to be successful in battle. I think this tells us that we can pray to be successful in battle. Our battle is honorable, and our battle is today honorable We need to put our trust in Him and call on the Lord for success. So as God told both Moses and Joshua, this is our history lesson here, as God told both Moses and Joshua that the Lord will fight for you today, so God will fight for us today, and God is fighting for us today. And I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to read the accounts of either the Desert Storm or Operation Iraqi Freedom or the war in Afghanistan, but it's easy to tell that God is protecting our service personnel. There are some unbelievable stories of battalions fighting through ambushes, uh, arriving in Baghdad, and yes, we took some casualties, and there were casualties that were taken, but in reality, there were remarkably few. Some battalions arriving with one or two casualties, coming through fights with some wounded, but no, no deaths. And there are several stories, and maybe sometime I'll try to give you some of those accounts. But the Lord has protected them. Not only did he protect them because he called on them, but also because they were skilled. They were skilled in battle. And the United States, like Israel, must train and fight for the nation. But God helps support those who understand establishment principles of freedom. They understand that freedom comes through military victory, and that's what we have here. Freedom through military victory. As God delivered Israel, as he delivers the sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, so as he delivers them, because they trusted in him, so he'll help and deliver. The United States, we must put our trust in him. And so this is this morning's scripture reading and also our study. We must remember that while we need to be trained and we need to be capable... But the battle truly is the Lord's. And it's not only true in our military efforts, but it's true in our daily lives. The battle is the Lord's. We awake every morning with gifts from him, uh, support from him for the day. And we need to immediately see, as I've often said before, that our next breath, our next heartbeat comes from the Lord, and each succeeding one does. And each event during that day, whether it's a difficult event or a pleasant event, has come from the Lord. And each one of those events, we have been given special, uh, been given special abilities from God to face. Uh, facing very often our prosperities is much more difficult than facing the trials, because the trials of life we're often forced to pray, and to, as I said, to begin with, commune with God. But sometimes the prosperity of the day is eluded on us, but the prosperity comes from our Lord as well. So here we are. What we do on a daily basis is provided and planned by our Lord, and throughout the day we must remember that the battle is the Lord's. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we are thankful for these passages of Scripture. We're thankful for the lessons they teach us. We're thankful, Father, that we... Do not enter each day and wage a war on our own. But it's truly, Father, waged with your hand guiding us and providing for us. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember to start the morning with a discussion with you, a talk with you, a prayer, Father, being thankful for who and what you are, and then continuing it through the day, only at night before we go to bed, saying, Amen. Father, we're thankful that we are in your hand, and we're thankful that this nation is as well, and that we have a rich spiritual heritage that goes with our rich military heritage. And we're thankful for those who have served in the military of the United States. We're thankful for those who have given their lives for our freedom, and we're thankful for those who are fighting for it today. We pray for them. We pray for their protection. We pray for their skill, Father, and their ability to do their jobs to their utmost ability, their utmost best. And we give you the honor and glory for it, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.